Welcome to People of Purpose. People of Purpose. People of Purpose. People of Purpose. People of Purpose is a podcast of inspiring people whose stories help you see things differently, live with intentionality, elevate the way you participate in the world, and take the necessary leaps in your life to seek and find your passions. Come with us and develop the courage to wholeheartedly pursue your purpose and unleash your truest potential. The first thing we know about us is that we're made in the image of God. Love God as much as we can and to love other people as well as we can. I am more willing to give to the point of sacrifice when I am in closer step with recognizing God's sacrifice for me. It is remembering that God is God and I am not. And it also is remembering that my neighbor is made in God's image in exactly the same way that I am made in God's image. It just manifests itself differently. Author Alexandra Kirkendall encourages the church to engage God's world in the tension and intersection of heartache and hope. Her most recent book, Loving My Actual Neighbor, Seven Practices to Treasure the People Right in Front of You, offers a roadmap for how to begin and deepen relationships with those on the periphery of our lives. She is the co-founder of the Open Door Sisterhood, a community of women working to be world changers for good right where they are. She co-hosts a podcast and retreat under the same name also. Alex's other titles include Loving My Actual Life, Loving My Actual Christmas, and The Artist's Daughter, a memoir. A trusted voice for Christian women, Alex has been a guest on Good Morning America, Focus on the Family's Daily Broadcast, and Moody Radio. She lives in the shadows of downtown Denver with her husband, Derek, and their four daughters. You can connect with her at alexandrakirkendall.com. Interviewing Alexandra Kirkendall today was very influential on me. It had such a strong influence because she's talking about such a simple topic that I I felt like I already kind of knew and I feel like a lot of people already know. But at the same time, I was really curious to see the depth in which she thinks about this and acts in this topic of loving your neighbor. And I learned so much from her today. She talks about the power of getting into people's stories and understanding who they are, where they come from, so that we can then learn how to better love them and how we have to connect to these like light and funny type of things that we have in common. It makes it seem like not so hard, but it also makes it seem like we can be really intentional with it. Um, She talks about this wonderful story of Betty, her neighbor at the end of part two. And that story just brought me to tears because it really captures so much of the arc in which we can like be in a relationship. You can be super different from one another and have nothing kind of bonding you, nothing that you feel like a strong love for or anything other than just that they're another human. But as a relationship can develop over time with being intentional about leaning in and giving these people a few moments and finding these like nuggets of time and connection, we can then get to a place where now our lives are being more intertwined and intersecting and then it can come full circle to where now they're like essentially a member of the family. And just kind of seeing that story and knowing the power that these small, simple things that that Alexandra focuses on in her book, which I'm super excited to read, that power of being able to, you know, place these little practices into your life in in bite-sized ways, just five minutes, three minutes. It's just like a mindset shift. Whatever it is, it's going to make the world so much grander, so much more beautiful, so much more connected because we're actually loving each other as neighbors. I just think that she had such brilliant wisdom around that, how we have to go into the grief with people without giving an answer for a period of time was beautiful. And also just kind of recognizing like as a Christian too, that everyone is you know, made by God, made in God's image and how are they experiencing God and what's their potential you know, if God's here in this moment with us. And being able to kind of hold that space and sit in the discomfort and, and you know, be in your humility as someone kind of opens up to you and you open up to someone else. And in that vulnerability, we kind of paint a perfect picture of kind of the relationships that God has intended for us. I just think it's absolutely beautiful and I'm really excited for you to be able to listen to this interview. And thank you so much for being a listener to People of Purpose. 
please welcome today's People of Purpose, Alexandra Kirkendall. Hello, Alexandra Kirkendall. Welcome to the People of Purpose podcast. It's a blessing to have you here this morning, early morning for both of us. I'm excited yeah. to kind of talk about you know, your journey in, in purpose and how you're you know, finding that in, in the simple ways, like right in front of you with your neighbors, with your family, with your community. That's Welcome. right. It's the only way I know is within my actual life with the things that are right in front of me. Because the truth is I get, I'm a very distractible person. So I respond to what's right in front of me. And yeah, being a mom of four, that often involves people and their stuff. And then <laughs> being a neighbor, it means the people right around me. So yes, that's, that's where I live is in the immediate space. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, that's at the essence of what, what purpose is about is like, you, you need to see the, see those gaps, see those, those things and have attention to them that are right in front of you or else you're just living in some sort of like theoretical world of, of living purposefully. And I, I find myself falling in that trap quite often. It's, um, it's, it's a lot more simple than we make it out to be. We think we have to have this big um, legacy chasing thing that, you know, we find our purpose 10, 15, 20 years from now, you're finding it in these small everyday moments. And I think that's extremely important to underscore. Yeah. And, you know, while we're talking about purpose, I will say when I was in my twenties, probably early thirties, I really was searching for like the thing, like God's calling me to do this big X thing. And the older I get, the more I realize I may not ever really have this like one mission driven thing that pushes me forward. But right. what I can do is I can break down my life into more bite-sized pieces and say, what is my purpose in this area of my life? Or what is this purpose? What is my purpose for this month or this next six months? And that helps me break it down to something that feels a little bit more manageable. So, um, I just want to throw that out there in case that's helpful to people because it can feel very, very stressful to feel like somehow you're missing your purpose if you're searching for it and you feel like, am I not, how am I not finding if you're a person of faith? Is God not speaking to me? But it, when we start breaking it down into either time segments or just areas of our life, like what's my purpose in my home or what's my purpose in my career right now? it starts to uh, be a little bit more manageable. Yeah, I really like that way of thinking about it. So when you're looking at like an area of your life, are you trying to be like intentional about it? Are you like meditating on it, journaling on it, like really finding the, the nuanced ways in which you can show up more purposefully? Or are you just kind of like spotting them in the moment because you're like super aware and present? Yeah. Well, like I said, I'm very distractible. So um, I, sometimes I do notice them in the moment, but I find that it is better if I'm a little more intentional. Mm. So I did a nine month experiment that I wrote about in a book called Loving My Actual Life, where I took a different area of my life every month for nine months. And I thought, okay, if I just focus on this one area for a month, will I be able to make small changes that help me enjoy this area a little more. So they tended to be things that felt very mundane in my life, but things that needed to happen. So like taking care of my body or feeding my family. Those were examples of very practical things or finding quiet. And I live with five other people and that can be difficult. Sometimes. <laughs> yeah. So what I found though, is that I could plan some things to be more intentional in those areas but the reality is, just like you said, if I start focusing in on that, I start seeing it or noticing opportunities everywhere. So something as simple as meal planning. I thought, I'm just going to focus for three months on how I feed my family, how I can do it more efficiently, how I can make food healthy and fun and um, enjoyable for the people that need to eat because it's just a basic need that we have in our home. What I found is I started realizing how much abundance we have. I started thinking about all the people and mothers in the world who couldn't open their cupboards and 
consider their options because they didn't have options when it came to food or who couldn't go to Costco and fill their cart like I do every couple of weeks and come home with huge boxes of food. And so it made me in an unexpected way, start to be more grateful for the food that I do have instead of dreading this very mundane task that I tend to dread of what's going to be for dinner tonight. And I can't think of anything new. I realized in, as we threw around, around the phrase first world problems, I realized what a first world problem food was for me. And that I really, even in my own community, there are families that um, are hungry, very physically hungry. Mm-hmm. And so I could just step into that gratitude. And that is what changed my perspective on that particular task. All of a sudden, I realized what a gift it is to have the options that I have, what a gift it is to have a table big enough that I can invite other people to it. And that I have enough food in my home to invite the neighbors over or invite a family from church over. So it just was a mindset shift, but that's a very long way of saying that when you start looking for something and you start looking to make some changes, all of a sudden you're going to see all of these opportunities. It's like when you're buying a car and you're thinking about buying a certain type of car, all of a sudden you see it everywhere and you think, wait, did everybody just buy this car? Um, or if, if um, often couples, when they're trying to get pregnant, all of a sudden it feels like there are pregnant people everywhere in their lives. It's just kind of that same idea that when you start looking for something, you see it. Wow, that's beautiful. Yeah, I, I absolutely love that. You find abundance and gratitude by by starting to see those things that you kind of take for granted or just kind of fall to the background um, in your life. And it sounds like, what, what, what were the nine areas of your life? I'm curious. Yeah. Okay. Let's see if I can remember them. Um, <laughs> it's been a while. Quiet, um, meal planning, creativity, um, I think there was something large at the very end. The last month was something like purpose, physical health, home organization. Um, Okay, this is where it's going to start getting. uh, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to pull out all six or I mean all nine. I got six out of nine. That's fine. What is that like a seat? (laughs) 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 Yeah. How did you come up with these? Was there some sort of like a retreat you went on or something that like made you have this epiphany or how did you come up with? These are the nine I need to focus on. These are the nine. Uh, So I used to be on staff with MOPS International, which stands for Mothers of Preschoolers. It's a international ministry that's based in Denver. And so I wrote for moms all the time and especially around this idea of, uh, you know, when your kids are little, you do the same things over and over and over. And so um, how do I love these tasks that maybe I dread a little bit was kind of what I was asking. So I was trying to get into the head of what are the pain points for the average mom? And so I don't know if I mentioned physical health was one of them. I mean, when we think about moms, we take our kids to the pediatrician, we make sure they're up to date on their shots. And I know lots of women where it's been years since they've gone to just get a physical. I mean, when you're in the stage of having kids, you go and see the obstetrician when you're pregnant. Um, But other than that, unless there's like some big major health problem happening, women in their twenties and thirties often don't take care of their bodies. And then having children just, it messes with a lot of stuff physically and, and you're exhausted. You're not sleeping. You're often just eating whatever your kids don't eat. You finish their goldfish on their plates. And so (laughs) that's an area where I know moms struggle. So that's where I, I looked and I tried to, um, really alternate between things that were very tangible and practical like that and things that fed a mom's soul a little bit like creativity. Mm -hmm. So creativity is something that I think we all have because we know um, the first thing we know about us is that we're made in the image of God. And one of the first things we know about God is that he is creative. And so this creativity wire is wired in our DNA But when we're busy taking care of people who are very dependent on us, 
we often will put that part of us aside. And I wanted to encourage moms that if you're going to love today, you need to live into how you're wired and how God has made you. Now, creativity, people often think, oh, that means they think the fine arts. You're a musician or a painter mm-hmm. or a poet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as a writer, I can uh, feel like I am live in this creative space, but also I write for work. And so what is meant to be a creative practice can start to feel like a burden because it is work-related. So how do I find outlets that are spaces where I can just be free, where I can feel like nobody's going to grade me on this. Nobody's going to write a review on this. I'm not posting this on Pinterest. This is just my place to experience what it means to create. And so that could be working in the garden or cooking or um, it could be something yeah. more creative, like journaling or painting. So just little tiny bite-sized things that moms can do to remember that God made us to be makers. Because when he made us and he made the world, he called it good. And so what we need to do after we make is we need to call it good. Mm-hmm. And in a world of Pinterest where you are told this is how you make something and this is what it's supposed to look like. And we have jokes about Pinterest fails. Then it starts to feel like, wait, I'm, I have a standard that it's supposed to be. And I just don't think that's how God works in our creative process. He wants us to experience him as we're doing it and then say, this is good, whatever it might be. Wow. That's lovely. I definitely can relate to that. Like it, it seems as if creativity kind of gets put on the back burner, it becomes deprioritized because these survival elements of life feel more important to us. Mm-hmm. But what you're saying is that it's actually, you, you have to be creative. You have to be a maker to be able to shine and love and, and do all the things that a, a great mom needs to do. Um, it's like your, your nutrients, you have to nourish yourself with, with this or else you're not actually having the kind of impact you want to have, whether you're a mom or, you know, an artist or a business person, whatever, like it makes sense that you need that. Um, I was thinking also, I was reading um, Stillness is the Key by Ryan Holiday. And he talks about Winston Churchill and how Winston Churchill was in this super big position of influence and power and had all these big decisions to make. And he said his number one piece of advice was have a a hobby. Mm -hmm. And his hobby was oil painting. He would just paint without like any purpose to it necessarily, without any, um, you know, audience, without doing it for money. He would just paint. And then that allowed him to then come back to what, what he what he needs to do in his position in the country and, and serve in that way at his best because he could recenter himself and reconnect with God and all that. So it totally makes sense to me. Yeah, that's really cool. You discovered that. Well, and if you think about it, I don't say this in the book, but We live in a time where we can make every part of our life public. Mm -hmm. And so part of the creative process is that what you just said about Winston Churchill, about painting, knowing that nobody's going to see it or he's, there's no expectation around it. And I think that's part of it is to remember, like, I'm going to bake these muffins and I'm not going to post it on Instagram. (laughs) Like, I'm just going to bake them and feed them to my family. And we're going to enjoy the goodness that God has provided for today without making a big thing of it. How does that make you feel differently than if you were to post it on Instagram or Pinterest? Like, I'm sure you've kind of tested out both sides of this. Like, how does it make you feel differently? Well, I think it then feels more like performance Mm. because you're doing it. Who is your audience? So when I'm in a creative process, I'm asking, who is my audience? If nobody but God's going to see it, then I can be more honest. I can be messier. Uh, I mean, you can be those things too on social media. We just don't tend to be. Um, But it's interesting because this is what I write about. So I often try to post these kinds of things on my social media so that my audience sees like, these are the small things that give me enjoyment in my life. And so I even have to balance like, okay, I have to do a heart check. Am I doing this to encourage people? Like, what's my purpose? Am I doing this to encourage other women that making muffins can be a really special time with your kids? Or is there a bit of pride in there where I'm saying, look at me, 
uh, aren't I the best mom ever because he's, I wake up early and I make muffins for my kids. And the truth is because of our hearts that are sin soaked, we tend to not have pure motives ever. It's like, it's not, it, maybe it's 80% this and 20% this, or maybe another morning it's 30% I wanna have an element of pride and 70% I wanna encourage. And so as I do that heart work, I, that's when I can then in that moment, take it back to God and say, okay, God, I really wanna encourage other people in this. And I know that my motives aren't hundred percent pure, but get me as close as I can be this side of heaven and help me um, recognize what's going on inside my spirit right now. And so it, it helps us have this constant communion with God in even the tiniest things. I mean, hello, we're talking about an Instagram post, which I will say I can be an overthinker too. So some people might say, this is ridiculous. Why is she talking about checking your heart before you post something on social media? But it's just the mode in which I live. And um, I also need to, as an overthinker, sometimes just do things and say, okay, I'm feeling this right now. I recognize it and I'm moving forward and I'm going to move in action. So I, I know that there are different personalities about how much people think and how much people do. And I think there's a balance between the two. Ah, it's really interesting. You're trying to open people up to just being able to be vulnerable and show that, that they're imperfect and that they are, you know, a human and they have these, what you call sin soaked hearts. You want people to like open up to that and recognize that and connect to that. Um, and you're trying to do it in a social way to like open people up to that. So it's like kind of ironic that you have to, um, you have to show your vulnerable side around this, but not do it for the purposes of showing that you're really good at showing your vulnerability. Right. <laughs> right. It's complicated. So uh, I think we all just need to step into our mornings, step into our days and recognize I'm going to be presented with a whole bunch of opportunities today to love God better and to love others more. And Jesus was really clear. That's our main job description as we walk around this earth is to love God as much as we can and to love other people as well as we can. And so we're going to be offered all these tiny opportunities. I mean, this gets back to our our conversation at the beginning about purpose. Like there, if that's our big purpose, love God, love others. Every day we have these little bite-sized chances to live that out. And so um, some of the things may feel dumb or stupid or why even think that much about that? Um, for example, pulling out of my driveway, I see my neighbor who lives alone standing in her driveway. I can either stop and roll down my window and talk to her for five minutes or I can keep driving. Well, some mornings I just, I'm late to wherever I'm headed. And so I have to keep driving. But that means that the mornings when I'm not, I want to take that opportunity. And so it's just thinking through every little moment and saying, is this a moment where I can love God more and I can love others better? Yeah, man, with that frame of mind, I would try to be early everywhere I went because I would look for these right. spontaneous moments in which I could open up to someone for a minute or two or see them open up to me. Beautiful. Yeah. And, and so I also have a book on loving your neighbor. And I do write about that, that to have, we live in a culture that is overscheduled. So, mm -hmm, and over busy. And as a mom with four kids, I mean, kids today in the United States just tend to be overscheduled. So I have that times four. This is one of the gifts that the pandemic has given us as a family mm. is that all of those things and I try to limit because I'm very thoughtful about this. I try to limit the amount of activities my kids have and still we're very busy just because of the number of them. So when everything shut down, it was like this big sigh of relief. Now we had stressors in other parts of our lives, but as far as time went, all of a sudden time became abundant again. Mm -hmm. And yeah. we could take moments and even 20 minutes and there are days in my previous life, my pre-pandemic life, where the thought of spontaneously talking to someone for 20 minutes seemed like I would never have time for that. Because if you look at my Google calendar, we're going from this to this, to this, to this, 
that afternoon. <laughs> and I don't have that amount of time. So to build margin, you know, there's a book called Margins that came out a long time ago about time to build margin into your life so that if you have that encounter, you can say yes to it because it's an opportunity where you're not rushing with people. And so that's intentional. And as a parent, I realized too, my kids were living a little bit frazzled. So instead of having those back-to-back activities, building margin in just for them too, so mm-hmm. that we could get a snack, we could look for shoes without me freaking out um, and running around the house saying, where are your shoes? Why can't you ever keep track of them? But to just <laughs> say, okay, we have five minutes, 10 minutes before we're going to go. You have 10 minutes to get your shoes on. And I'm not so frantic and hurried myself. Right. Of course. So yeah, one thing I'm always really curious about with my guests and definitely extra curious with you is like, where did you come from? How did you, how did you get from, you know, being someone that I imagine wasn't as clear headed about their sense of purpose as tuned into, you know, the grace of God as, you know, heart centered around how you have a sinful heart? Like, where did you come from? And how did you kind of get here? Like, where, where were those like key moments, you know, along your path that kind of opened you up to, you know, maybe we could start with like, when did you become a Christian? How did you become a Christian? Because it seems to really inform a lot of the lens through which you, you'd make your, you, you design your life, you choose your behaviors, you choose your roles. Okay. Well, we can go way back. So um, when I was 14, uh, I was a freshman in high school and I was invited to a group at my high school called Young Life. So Mm -hmm. it's a ministry to high school students. I was in Young Life when I was younger. Yeah. I had never heard the gospel. It was totally new news to me. And I had traveled quite a bit as um, a child. I lived in Europe and in back and forth in the U.S. a lot. And so I had traveled to all these cathedrals in Spain and Italy and seen crucifix after crucifix, but I didn't, I didn't know what any of it meant. And here somebody was explaining concepts like the Trinity and why Jesus was on the cross and all of these things that to me as a 14 year old, I thought, why has never, no one ever told me this before. You know, I thought in my long life, I've never heard this. And, um, long life at age 14, (laughs) right? Exactly. But when you're 14, that's all, you know, and, uh, I, my eyes just started to open and I think God got me pretty young because, uh, he, that was just his mercy in my life. And because I am an overthinker, I wasn't just going to accept Uh, what was being taught to me and told to me by my young life leaders, because it was very counter to the worldview that I was being raised with. And so I had lots of questions and my young life leaders, bless their hearts, um, spent two years in very long conversations with me. And I finally realized, I felt I was getting to a point where I was starting to believe God existed. Um, That wasn't hard for me to believe. Uh, but I had a lot of baggage around the word Christian and what it meant for a person to be a Christian. And it, uh, a lot of it had to do with politics and, uh, and some of these hot topic issues. Now yeah, I'm in my mid forties. So this was a long time ago, but a lot of the topics are the same. And, I really want to lean into this because yeah. I, I, this is a struggle I have too. Like it's not it's not really super socially acceptable to just be really outwardly with, with that identity. You have to kind of finesse your way into it. Like right. people and, have like and there, viewpoints and judgments about what that, what that looks like. And they don't really capture all the nuances of what that actually means to me. Yes. So, yeah. I'm really interested in this topic. So, but I also wasn't sure that I agreed with it all. Like I thought it was a package deal. Right. Like, okay, if you um, follow Christ, then that means you have to believe these things on these topics. Mm. I was like, whoa, that, why? I don't, I, that, so this is my overthinking, why I needed to know all this. So my young life leaders would show me scripture and say, well, this is what this says about this. And this is what this says about this. And finally, I was, when I was 16, I realized, you know what, God, I am starting to understand that a life of faith means I'm not going to have everything figured out. But what I do know is I really am intrigued by Christ. I really do believe that he was God who came. It 
makes the most sense to me when I observe the world that this paradigm that is being explained to me of the Trinity and, and I want to live this way and I'm going to trust that you're going to help me figure out all of these other details. And I'm going to trust that this is going to work out on these hot topics. And I'm going to trust because coming from a family that wasn't a family of faith, I'm going to trust that you're going to help me work that out too, because that was a tension point for me as a teenager. So, um, so that kind of set me on a trajectory and I, you know, was that I've always been a person who asks a lot of questions and wants to know what's true. Um, I also see a lot of gray in things so yeah. I can engage people in conversations because I really do see multiple viewpoints on topics. So, um, so fast forward, I get married I meet my husband when we're both working for Young Life after college. Um, he also had a very impactful experience with Young Life, but he came from a Christian family and it was more that he did not want to go to youth group at church. And this was a more fun version for him, <laughs> but, but that makes it sound very superficial. He had a very meaningful, um, you know, as a, as a child growing up in a Christian home, you have to come to a point where you decide this is a faith that I also want to follow, or this is what my parents do and I'm going to go along with it. And so Young Life helped him decide that his faith was his own. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were working in, um, for Young Life and we started dating and got married, obviously. It's my husband. Um, and and I was... Um, you know, a very capable young woman. And so I was doing well in the work world and the professional world. And, uh, we knew we wanted to start having kids in my late twenties. And so I also kind of had this sense of, I want to stay home with my kids. Now, because I didn't grow up in a Christian home, there were a lot of things that I thought this is the Christian way to do it. (laughs) So in order to have, um, raise a family. There's, there are certain ways to do it. And I have to learn what those ways are. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it it was a little narrow, I will be honest. And so I thought this is, I need to stay home full time. And again, this was right at the beginning of, um, my oldest daughter was born in 2002. So from a workplace standpoint, it still was not very common for professional women to work part-time and be home part-time. And it definitely was not common for people to work from home. So things have changed quite a bit since my oldest daughter was born. And I'm grateful for that because I think it helps families have some flexibility, but I was still offered this paradigm of all or nothing. And as far as paid work goes. Yeah. So, um, talk about being a person of purpose. I thought, okay, so my purpose now is raising kids and being in the home. And I became involved in a local mops group here in Denver, which is what they call a parachurch ministry. So usually a local church will sponsor a group and the group will meet in the church's building and um, talk about things of faith, but really focused on mothering during the early years. And um, I became the leader of the group and really thrived in that leadership role. Mm -hmm. And it was there that I started thinking about, okay, God, you have called me obviously to be my husband's wife and my children's mother. But I feel these other talents are being used in this leadership space. And what does that mean? And I started to get a much more holistic view of purpose in my life and that I couldn't say, okay, it's going to be this one career path because I don't know what that's going to be. And it, um, but it's all of this accumulated small moments that become big things for people. So as I was leading a mops group, it was small decision after small decision created an environment and a group Mm -hmm. that really thrived. And so with anything, with parenting, with marriage, it's small thing after small thing becomes a big thing. And so that's where I started to really ask God to reveal 
those small things to me. And I still struggle with it. I don't want it to sound like every day I'm so aware of my surroundings and every opportunity <laughs> I, I just have this responsive heart. It's, it's growth in my own life. It's being with people. The more life I live, the more I am with people that are in pain because they're living more of life. So I've had friends who have children who have died, who have spouses who have died. And as you walk through those real life tragedies with other people, you also get a sense of what's most important. Mm -hmm. And what's most important is the gift of life today with the people that are here today and to know that tomorrow is not promised. Right. And so that it, it's just a lot of things all mixed up that make who I am right now. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's awesome. <laughs> I wanted to address the audience for a second. If you're listening to this interview and you really resonate with with uh, Alexandra's story and how she found such a simple sense of purpose through um, all the complexity she had in her own head and all the gray that she had to walk and you know, not having the, the background that was like so aligned with who she is today and what kind of purpose that is. Um, Definitely like leave a comment, leave a review and um, let us know what that what that looks like. Um, just engage with us so we can have a conversation around that. Um, we're not going anywhere. So you can just pause it and go leave a review here on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you're listening. Um, our Facebook page would be great, too. Um, let's talk about it. Reach out. Um, and yeah, I'm really excited to see how you relate to what what her story is. Um, so, yeah, Alexandra, as we as we kind of come back, uh one thing you said in that whole story was um, was around. Well, I forget the language you used, but it was it was about how you felt influenced by Jesus or inspired by Jesus. Um, what what exactly in Jesus's life kind of really stands out to you um, that's so aligned with like who you try to be every day? Mm -hmm. it, it seems to be around this like being a good neighbor kind of person. But can you break that down more? Like, what does that what does that look like? What does that feel like? What's that like? What do we need to embody when we're kind of being like Jesus? Mm -hmm. Oh gosh, that's a big question. When I think about him and what attracted me to him mm -hmm. was um, this idea of sacrifice and sacrificial love. Right. That he made sacrifices out of love for me. And so if I take that attitude into my relationships um, now as a woman in my 40s, um, what does that mean to love people to a pain point? And I don't want to say that love always has to be painful because I don't think that's a real healthy perspective either. But are we willing to make sacrifices for the people around us? And, you know, as a parent, parents naturally do because the love that we have for our children, I think is the closest that we will experience on earth as far as understanding God's love for us. When my first daughter was born, I was completely overwhelmed with how much I would do for her. And I think my husband felt the same way. Now, I loved my husband up to that point. My husband was the person I loved the most, but we were on a kind of a mutual uh, ground. We were two adults. We were ex expecting things from each other. I was wanting him to meet certain needs of mine. But when I was handed this baby, I knew she could not meet any of my needs. Mm -hmm. That this was a gift that God had given me. I didn't understand why. I didn't understand why I had been so gifted with a healthy child that to me was the perfect baby. Um, but it was this overwhelming new sense of love and willingness to sacrifice. And so as a parent, that comes kind of naturally. Now they grow up and you become less in awe of the miracle sometimes as they start talking back and misbehaving <laughs> and doing all the things that kids and teenagers do. Um, yeah. but having, like I said, having been with people whose children have been very ill and have died, you, you can go back to those places of recognizing this life is a gift. And the fact that God has entrusted me with this child is a gift, mm -hmm. but we have to work a little harder in our other relationships, I think, to have that sacrificial point. And so 
I am more willing to give to the point of sacrifice when I am in closer step with recognizing God's sacrifice for me. So, you know, I recognized that back when I was 16, that's not going to sustain me today in 2020. I need to be in communion with him. And the more I am, the more grateful I am for the sacrifices he made for me on a daily basis, which then gives me fuel to live in a way that is generous. And I mean, generous is a Mm -hmm. positive spin, I think, on what we're saying rather than sacrificial because people are like, ooh, I have to give something up. It's going to be hard. But when when we recognize God's generosity to us, then we are more willing to be generous with people that and that doesn't come as naturally. And then even with people that maybe kind of make us mad or right. that are antagonistic towards us, which then Jesus you know, talks about loving our enemy. Well, in 2020, I don't feel like I have any enemies. Like that sounds some, like something from, I don't know, a castle and the, the dueling <laughs> um, kingdoms. But in 2020, what does it mean to have an enemy? And I think it, it, is those people in our lives that bring up the worst in us, which, yeah. you know, they, they push the buttons in ways that we're like, oh, so how do we love them? Well, if we are being filled with this well of gratitude for Christ's sacrifice for us, we are much more willing to extend grace and be gentle and display the fruits of the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. with people who push our buttons in a bad way. Yeah, that totally makes sense. I love that you talk about the power of sacrifice and and I agree like it's a word that a lot of people don't want to embrace but the more I I lean into that concept the like like Jesus talks about is you have to kind of die to this world to be able to like really embrace the kingdom of heaven um there is a certain element of like removing our our status our pride our um ingrainedness in this world so that we're living for something much more beyond, you know, what we physically feel and experience here today. Um, Mm -hmm. It's really, really cool. Like how you, how you're finding that by being a mom. Uh, I, I, for something in me, my whole life has like been telling me my greatest like manifestation of purpose is going to come when I'm a father Mm -hmm. and I'm not there yet. I'm only 28 years old. I just got married six months ago. Um, we're not planning on it this year. <laughs> um, but I'm really, really excited for the, for when I get to be, because I think what you're talking about is probably at the core of it is you're learning how to like die to yourself so you can really serve someone else. Um, and you're doing that so that you can kind of serve, you know, the kingdom of heaven. Um, yeah, it's beautiful. Like what, what, what have you learned about like what it means to be like, a good mom? How do you raise children in a way that's like in line with your purpose, your faith, but you still allow them kind of the freedom and flexibility to become who, who they're meant to be in in God? Like, what does that look like to you? You're asking the million dollar question, which already shows you're going to be a great dad. Because um, if we go back to 2002, when I thought, okay, there's going to be a formula a formula for parenting um, that is going to be the right way to do it. I now know 18 years later, there, there are lots of ways that we can love our children well and push them in the ways of the Lord, if you will. Mm-hmm. So um, what that means is really surrounding myself with other parents that do it different than I do. Mm-hmm. Those early years, I was surrounded by a lot of women who were making the same choices I was. They were uh, looking at the world in the same way that I was. And that was helpful. It was affirming, but it was also this false sense of there is one right way to do it. And we're all telling each other. It was like this little live echo chamber we had in our yeah. play group. Like we're doing it the right way. Not like all these other parents. That exists everywhere, like it (laughs) exists in in school, in Mm -hmm. business, in everything. We're always looking for this like five-step framework to be perfect Mm -hmm. at X. And that's just not typically how it works. (laughs) 
And I had a very dear friend. We were together at least three days a week with our kids. And she decided that um, she wanted to go back to work, that it was for her own mental health. That was going to be the best thing for her and make her a better mom. And I was like, wait a minute, that's not our formula. That's not what we agreed on. And then I realized, wait, she never signed a contract with me. We never had this like <laughs> secret handshake. And watching her make a different decision, knowing her heart, knowing that she really did want to be the best mom possible and do what was right by her kids and her family and have it look different than the way that I was still doing it made me realize, oh my gosh, I have been so prideful in mm. this process. I have, a, I have approached parenting with this framework that there is a right way. And the truth is God is so creative and is in every space that we're in. He stands between us in every relationship. Of course, there's going to be lots of ways to do this. And we as parents have to figure out what do our kids need? And when they're little, their needs are pretty basic. Like they need to be taken care of and kept safe and their physical needs and emotional needs need to be met. But as they get older, we start observing, wow, you're really good at this or one thing, or you're not very good at this, which we don't tend to tell our children that, but, um, but to steer them towards their strengths and their gifts, and then also to help them see their blind spots and to work on some areas that they're going to need to be proficient at as adults, but maybe aren't their natural best. And so I think that early humility and kind of being knocked off my pedestal helped me approach parenting with a little bit more humility. And the other thing was I started surrounding myself too with parents who were a few steps ahead of me Mm. so that I knew the challenges that they were experiencing so that when my oldest started pushing back in some areas, I knew that it was normal. I knew that it was normal for kids to kind of take their own path a little bit. So um, now as we're starting to launch kids out into the world, I, I still try to approach it with humility and knowing now my oldest is at an age where it's completely appropriate for her to be making decisions around her faith, around what she believes, around her ideas, Mm -hmm. um, because she's mature and she is not going to come to the same conclusions that I have come to in every area of life, including faith. And faith is very dynamic and complex. So we may agree on a lot of things, but there are going to be some things we don't agree on, or we're going to approach things the same way in a lot of areas of our life, but we're not going to approach some things the same way. And to trust that God is with her in it is where I have to let go as a parent. And that is true of our kids' faith experience, but it's just true of them as they start to make decisions that impact their lives and directions that they want to head to say, okay, God, I'm trusting that you are in it. I have done the heavy lifting of parenting when they were little. And now my job is to act more as a coach and a counselor than as Mm -hmm. a protector. And that is a, a real struggle for a lot of parents. For some parents, it's fun and they love it. And it's engaging and they find their older kids to be so interesting and lovely to be around, or even not even lovely. They can be infuriating, but at the same time, they are interesting people. And, and for other parents, it's terrifying to let go of that control. So you kind of have, you, you go into it knowing, okay, this tends to be my tendency or some parents are taken by surprise at how much grief there is in it. Our family's never going to look the same once this child leaves home to either go to school or go to the military or just have their own apartment somewhere. Right. Things are changing. And for so many years, this defined us as a family. We were the, right. you know, for us, the Kirkendall six, there's six of us and, or for another family, it's the four of us. And we've had all these adventures together. And now I need to let my kids have their adventures on their own. Or if they invite me in, I'll come running, but I need to be, 
giving them space to experience life a little bit. And it's not easy. Um, But the key is trusting that God is with them. Yeah. No, I see my mom has been struggling with this for the last 10 years. Like Mm -hmm. I was 18, 10 years ago. That was when I left the nest, so to speak, and went to college out of state and eventually like lived in Africa for a while in Morocco and then went and lived in Asia and Thailand for several years. And it's taken a lot for her to to kind of come back to a point where we're embracing that God has a bigger plan for us and that he's with he's with both of us individually and we still can stay together even though their distance is there. Um, I've watched her really mature and grow over the years because she was really struggling with it like the whole 16 17 18 year old thing like you know leading up to this mm-hmm. uh, we kind of both knew it was coming that I'd be leaving and stuff and there was a lot of like resistance from her she kept pulling me back and trying to like raise me as if I'm a lot younger person than I actually was and um, what you said I, I find to be really true is like you have to like trust that God is with with whoever it is in their journey and for me like going into other cultures, other places, other like immersing yourself in a different way of thinking and knowing whose you are and like how grounded you are in in your faith. Uh, I think that's incredibly important for kind of solidifying who you are as a person of purpose. Because um, mm-hmm. if you don't really, you know, stretch yourself, you're, you're always kind of like in this sheltered place. And then when you do find something different than you, you want to like resist it and pull back and say, Uh, That's scary and different than me, and I don't want to engage with that. Thank you for listening to part one of this interview with Alexandra Kirkendall on Loving Our Actual Neighbors. Be sure to listen to next week's episode as we wrap up our conversation with Alexandra, talking about her thoughts on the challenges faced in society, such as loving our neighbors, how she puts herself in a loving way that has an impact on others, her book, Loving My Actual Neighbor, and the four-week challenge that will help us move towards loving our neighbors, and ultimately ending with the touching story of her neighbor, Betty.